Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, streaming at 3cr.org.au, 3CR Digital, Podcasting or Audio On Demand. Interested in mental health issues? Then tune into Brainwaves every Wednesday at 5pm. Brainwaves is a peer-produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you. 3CR, inclusive radio, making your voice heard. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Rebecca and today from the Brainwaves team we have Susie who's panelling and today we'll be in- interviewing Kirsty. Just a warning for today's show, we will be discussing an eating disorder so if this issue is confronting for you or distresses you then please tune out. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Kirsty. Thank you for having me. So just to start off, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Of course. So like you said, my name's Kirsty, and I'm also one of the hosts of Brainwaves, so it's nice to be on the other side. Um, I work in the disability sector as a disability support worker, and basically I work with a range of clients with varying disabilities, mainly intellectual disability, autism, and Down syndrome. Um, I just help them basically develop skills that they need to live an independent life. Like we work on communication, social skills. So just offering that personalised support to help them be more independent and active in the community, which is really satisfying and something that I really enjoy. And yeah, I also work another job in hospitality and I'm returning to do a second degree in psychology next year. Oh, that's awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about how your mental health journey started? Yeah, so it started at a pretty young age. As as a young kid, I experienced a lot of body image and self-confidence issues. And I started engaging in just like on and off restrictive eating. And this dissatisfaction with my appearance and self-worth like really persisted throughout my teenage years. And it it became more pronounced in my final schooling years where I'd engage in like more regular restriction of f- food intake. So I was diagnosed with anorexia in 2014, which is when my mental health issues really like escalated. So I dropped to a like, really dangerously low body weight really quickly due to severely restricting food intake and exercising obsessively and compulsively. And I also developed body dysmorphic disorder, which is a mental illness where you basically experience constant worry and distress over the way that you look and obsess about your perceived flaws. And this, like the symptoms of this were just constant body checking and just looking at my reflection and just like a general depression came with that. Mm. Um, Yeah, after that, I had a brief stint with purging, so self-induced vomiting due to the guilt I had to, like whenever I ate anything and just this intense fear of putting on weight. So, yeah. yeah. That sounds really tough. Thank you for thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's right. Um, is there a moment that stands out that you'd be happy to share with us? Well, there are two distinct events that 
I always come back to. So, and these events basically, I look back on as the road, like the start of my road to recovery. So the first one was this conversation I had with my older brother. So if he's listening, shout out to Daniel. So <laughs> this conversation happened during the height of my eating disorder. And it just, it really woke me up to the fact that what I was doing and the pain I was causing myself was really hurting my family. And and also he mentioned that I need to keep in mind the impression that I was setting for my little brother, Jack. So I, th I don't think he, Daniel like ever realized the impact that this conversation had. And my little brother also probably doesn't realize that like I often kept him in mind when those eating disorder thoughts would come up and just remembering that as an older sister, I have a duty to be a good role model and like not to negatively influence him or hurt him in any way. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think if you didn't have like your family support that mm. you would, like it would be a completely different story now? I think so. And like they were supportive, but I very much, like I didn't, I didn't discuss yeah. the eating sword with them at all. Like I wouldn't be, obviously like it was quite obvious due to my appearance that I had an eating disorder, yeah. but we never engaged in like long chats about it except for that, like that one conversation. Hmm. And how were the treatment methods that you took, like what, how did that go like treatment wise? So I... I initially went to see a psychologist, but it like I felt really invalidated and like, quite dismissed mm. of my issues. So I didn't end up seeking therapy for years and years after that. I kind of just like, I don't know, I stuck it out myself and just through like sheer willpower and resilience, yeah. just like forced myself to... So yeah, start eating and yeah, yeah. And do you think that if you had like proper treatment and support, that you would have like achieved recovery quicker? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have, and it would have probably been an easier path as well. And so now you've tried some holistic methods to help cope. Um, what have you tried over the years, and what has been the most helpful for you? Yeah, so the therapy that I'm currently engaged in is a bit of a mixed bag. So I see a clinical psychologist and with her, like we do a whole range of things. We we use CBT, so cognitive behavioural therapy. So working on challenging and yeah, changing unhelpful cognitive distortions and behaviours and basically just improving emotional regulation and developing like, strategies. So as well as that, we incorporate mindfulness with the goal of basically acknowledging and accepting certain feelings and thoughts. And we also use ACT, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, um, which is based on behavioural psychology. Mm -hmm. And the goal of that is to use mindfulness and acceptance to gain some psychological flexibility. So basically like achieving a balance between your emotional mind and your rational mind so not being on like either end of the spectrum 
but falling somewhere in the middle. So like essentially achieving a balance between like ultimate chaos and ultimate order. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing with the psychologist. And then as well as that, I engage in a lot of self-help activity. <laughs> and that's like, it's that as well as the clinical therapy has been probably the two big main ones that have helped. Yeah. So this self-help activity sees me just watching a lot of lectures and reading a lot of books. And there's this one guy, he's a Canadian psychologist. He's called Dr. Jordan Peterson. Not sure if you've heard of him, but he's like highly controversial for some reason. And <laughs> his teachings were shown to me at a time when I was really open to change. So really it was perfect timing. And the effect that he's had on my life has been amazing. Like it's just inspired me to lead a life of meaning and purpose and responsibility rather than just like chasing pleasure and happiness. And seeing happiness as the products of engaging in challenging and productive activities rather than something that's like a goal within itself. Hmm. Yeah. And was it easy to get into different therapy methods like using mindfulness yeah. as a healthy tool or did you kind of struggle with it at the beginning? No, it's really easy to like to get into all of them at the same time. Because hmm. as well as all of that, I do yoga as well, which is another activity that has like drastically helped me yeah um yeah like especially coming from like an eating disorder past where the focus was so much on on the body mm. and also with my like obsession with exercise I've had to be careful with yoga like to not become obsessive about it and not to be a perfectionist and and really hone in on like analysing my performance and my body and just, yeah, like using it to to move and then connect to breath. And then just there's, there's something about it that is just deeply therapeutic, I find. Yeah. yeah, I think I can relate to that a lot coming from like a competitive sport background yeah. where everything's so focused on how you look and how you present yourself. And then like for me, stopping competitive sport and then going into something like yoga and Pilates yeah. where it's not about how you look in the pose. And mm. um, there's something my teacher goes on about, about beginner's mind. Like you go into every single pose every day not knowing what you looked like yesterday. Yeah. I think that's something that I've really taken on is that you don't have to be your best every day. Like I found that's the best thing about yoga is that it, it's so different and transformative and you never have to perform the way you did the day before. Like you never have to be any better or any worse. It's just different every day. And I found that so beneficial, especially mm. coming from, yeah, a competitive dancer background where you have to be your best every day. Like there's there's no alternative you just have to be good and yeah I, yeah I think I can definitely relate to that part of your story because yeah it's something that comes from my heart as well mm. yeah it's really interesting yeah there's a lot of like life lessons that could be learned yeah through yoga yeah um so you're listening to brainwaves on 3CR um we're just going to take a quick break and listen to this song and we'll be right back talking to Kirsty about alternative medicine and a little bit more about her story if you've just joined us, you are listening to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM digital and streaming online. That song was by Paul Kelly, None of Your Business Now. We've been talking to Kirsty about how she overcame 
an eating disorder using a variety of therapies. Um, continue, please. Yeah. So um, we talked a little bit about before, like recovery and that. Um, do you think people assume that now that you've had therapy mm. and like are still having therapy that you're completely recovered? Because I know generally people think that, or oh, if you go into like rehab or something yeah. pe- and you've come out, people just think you're fine, like you're all better now. Yeah, it's kind of just, it's over and yeah, you're all good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely eating disorder recovery is an ongoing thing. Like, even though I'm not in in the throes of it anymore and I'm not at a dangerously low weight and I don't engage in, in restrictive behaviours or purging or any kind of self-harm, it's still... Those thoughts are still there. Like, not to such... The thoughts aren't so loud... But in terms of stress and change and chaos, they do pipe up. Mm. And the urge to restrict and and to purge are still there. It's just now through all these through all these forms of therapy that I've been going through, I now have like the tools and strategies to deal with said thoughts and not mm. like to resist them and yeah, not engage in that behaviour. Yeah, and I think that's really important as well because there's always, like, an assumption that, like, you go to rehab, like, you have therapy, then yeah. afterwards, like, you're fine. And it's the same with, oh, because you aren't a certain weight anymore that you don't struggle with an eating disorder. Yeah, I mean, you can have an eating disorder and and not look yeah. like you have an eating disorder, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, the image that people have is this, like, stick-thin figure but that's it's not necessarily true yeah yeah and so going through the types of self-care that you do yeah what's a typical week or day like how does it look like to you when you're practicing like self-care methods yeah so firstly like my dedication to to finding meaning and purpose and living responsibly is kind of what shapes my week the most so my time is now extremely precious to me and it's become quite scheduled, which anyone who knows me and like my employers know. <laughs> um, yeah, um, most of my time is spent doing activities that I find meaning in. So at the moment, that being disability work and conducting psychology-based interviews in my spare time. So I also allocate a certain amount of time to developing skills that I personally enjoy and find expression in which for me are piano and art, like mainly drawing. Um, I dedicate time to reading psychology or self-help books or listening to informative podcasts. Shout out to the Joe Rogan Experience, my favourite podcast. And I usually do that during transit time to and from mm-hmm. work. Um, I try to do things that move my body and see me mindfully connecting with my body every day, whether that be like intuitive ecstatic dancing or running or practicing yoga and like another big one is my nightly ritual of journaling and uh, I journal like my thoughts and feelings then I note things that I've that I think I've improved on and then strategies that I can think of to further optimize myself hmm. and just like making these things habits yeah and like it does take discipline and definitely at the start I don't like I don't want to sit down and journal yeah I want to like I don't know listen to music or whatever but 
you just have to make it a disciplined practice until you start seeing the benefits of it and then yeah you want to do it yeah and I guess that's kind of like the hardest thing is trying to make a habit because like I know from experience and we've previously done on the show like mindfulness apps and like I think I was obsessed with it for like (laughs) three months and then just completely stopped it yeah I don't I don't even know why and I guess in a way when it comes to like recovery is you're Mm. constantly having to put the methods you learn in therapy in place because otherwise like you'd just end up back where you were exactly you have to be really intentional like you Mm. have to yeah you have to make yourself do it until you want to do it and then even when you want to do it you can like stop doing it for a week and it's so easy to fall out of the habit yeah so yeah just staying on top of that is probably yeah and in a little bit I'll just ask you about stigma but you mentioned before that your disability support worker has your mental health journey kind of impacted on you like for the reason why you became a support worker um yeah, I think it I think it has. I mean, I'm I'm obviously interested in mental health and helping people like with my like me going back to uni to do psychology and so I do have this just natural drive to help people and I think it like one of the main reasons it must have been through my own mental health struggles. Yeah, just like just realizing how tough things can be and and working with people who have it like worse off than you, mm. it's just, it's a really good feeling. It sounds cliche, but yeah. it, it is rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does make some sense. Yeah. Um. So talking about stigma, like, have you personally experienced any stigma when you've, like, approached friends or family yeah. and told them about um, some treatments that you're doing? Not really. Um, I like to be quite open about the fact that I see, I'm actually seeing two psychologists at the minute. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm quite open and I find myself bringing it up more and talking about it more be- because I feel like people will be a bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like, I want to start that conversation and I want to normalise it. And like a thing I always say is that I think everyone should see a psychologist, especially Mm. if you know that you have like issues that are affecting your life and your behavior and your emotions. I think everyone could benefit from having that space where they can just talk and make sense of their thoughts and have someone who's qualified and knowledgeable in the way the mind works to just like bounce back ideas and give advice. And what would you say to someone who's kind of experiencing something mm. that you're experiencing and you've used treatment methods to mm-hmm. help you get through it? What would you tell someone who is on the edge of considering whether yeah. they should get some treatment? I I would say that, again, this sounds very cliche and, <laughs> yeah, but, like, you're really you're not alone even though I know it feels like you are and I know it feels like you're the only one who feels like this and that no one will understand but yeah just go to your GP try to get onto a mental health plan start seeing a psychologist or even just like treat it as an experiment like try some of these methods try yoga or 
download the mindfulness app and just kind of yeah dip your toe in the water and see what happens Mm. and then as soon as you start seeing positive results which you will it will just encourage you to to try more things and Mm. and yeah yeah and kind of like what we discussed before that treatment is like ongoing and it's like I like to see it as you have to choose recovery like every day yeah for you how would you like to see your life in the next five years do you hope Mm. that you'll be able to say that I'm like I'm better like I'm better better than I've ever been and like I'm somehow helping people oh for sure yeah that's like exactly (laughs) exactly what I want to be able to see in five years um yeah, I want to to look back and know that I have been acting with intention and to look back and know that I've been yeah, doing the absolute best I can and putting in 100% effort in all aspects of things that I've been trained to do and, yeah, hopefully in turn be able to help others. Yeah, and I definitely think... A lot of the time when you're, like, struggling with an Mm. eating disorder or any form of mental illness, like, at the time it feels like it's never going to end and that it's never going to get better. And I guess in a way it's always trying to look out for the future and, like, making sure that you've got, like, goals in mind and stuff ahead because I think a lot of the time when you're struggling, it's really hard to see the future. It's really oh, hard sure. to like know yeah. how to get through that. It feels like you're going to feel like that forever. Yeah. And I remember feeling like that as well. Yeah. So coming out the other end of it, I realised that like things do get better. Yeah. And yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been absolutely amazing to talk to you. Yeah, you're welcome. You've been so vulnerable and raw with us and that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Kirsty. And we look forward to having you interview on the show more often in the mm. coming weeks. Um, thank you to Rebecca for interviewing as well. And just want to say, Susie, you've done a wonderful job panelling today on your first go. So thank you for that as well. Um, you've been listening to Brainwaves on 3CR. You can find more of our shows on our website, brainwaves.org.au and on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au and on iTunes. Uh, next week... On the show is Mental Health Week and we want to hear from you. You can head to brainwaves.org.au. We're having a little bit of a search for some of your stories that we can read on air and have a bit of a discussion with next week. So if you want to get involved, head there and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode. Stay tuned for Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.